Hey, podcast listeners. Kevin, Stephen, and I are going on hiatus for a couple of weeks. We'll be back mid-April with more episodes and interviews. And speaking of interviews, we have a very special one, Indonesia's finance minister, Sri Mulyani Indrawati. Indonesia is perhaps uniquely impacted by the cross-currents of events that are buffeting the global economy. We are in what is increasingly looking like a seismic shift in the norms and practices that have underpinned how economies relate to each other. The global economic order, the norms and customs, the rules that underpin how countries trade, how businesses invest, is under threat amid a great power struggle following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And it's forcing countries to choose sides. As president of the G20, Indonesia is on the front line. G20 members like Australia demand Russia be booted from the talking shop. Indonesia has so far refused. But this moment of soaring prices for wheat and energy has impacted Indonesia uniquely too. Royalties on coal exports and palm oil, for example, will more or less pay for fuel subsidies that will keep consumer prices stable and targeted aid for the poor. And worryingly for a country that transitioned to democracy two decades ago, Indonesia's elites are openly toying with delaying elections and removing term limits. And while she can't opine on her boss, her answer to our question about her views on extending her boss's tenure was a particular highlight of the interview for me. It demonstrated her tact, her intellect, and definitely her pragmatism, if not her patriotism. And now, here's our interview with Indonesia's finance minister, Sri Mulyani. now is our very special guest. We are absolutely thrilled to have her, Sri Mulyani Indrawati, uh, the finance minister for the Republic of Indonesia. She requires no introduction past that. Um, welcome, Minister. Uh, thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Jeffrey. Good morning to you and Kevin also. Good to see you yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. Mm-hmm. Minister, I wanted to um, start with uh, just a stock take of where we are now. Uh, we are halfway through the second term of uh, the president's um, time in office. Um, there have been a number of set piece reforms. Um, what would you say best describes, uh, but on the other hand, there have been a, a number of rather seismic changes, not least the uh, rise in commodity prices, um, and 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 the war in Eastern Europe. How would you characterize the overall priorities and the uh, the the list of what you would hope to get done in the remaining two years? Well, this is really a very extraordinary time uh, for the second term of President Jokowi. To be very honest, we were uh, actually started with a very uh, high, uh, ambitious, optimistic uh, that this is uh, going to be the second term in which we are going to continue many of a very important program, uh, whether this is related to the reform. So that's why we pass uh, and uh, continue drafting at that time the law on uh, omnibus law on the job creation. We also continue designing on how the infrastructure building need to be expanded in Indonesia so that it will be more connected, uh, more efficient, more productive. We also uh, creating reform on a bureaucracy as well as regulatory by introducing and simplifying the investment uh, procedure and policy. Uh, we look at how to really cut uh, the red tape. Uh, so these are all the what we call it uh, the uh, priority. Uh, in addition to, the, of course, the top priority in Indonesia, because we have a, a young demographic population, we put uh, a heavy uh, attention on uh, human capital like education, uh, social protection, as well as health. So these are all the area that uh, we think that it's going to be like preparing Indonesia to become middle upper income country, continuing our endeavor to become an advanced country. And then we hit hard by this pandemic. The whole world halted by this. I mean, no country actually in this case 
spare from this uh, pandemic threat. And the implication is not only on a health issue, like uh, you know, Jeffrey, uh, it is a health issue. It's uh, threatening the safety uh, and the health of the people, but the implication on the social side, economic side, and even to some country is a political side because it's really depend on how the country and the government were able to handle this very unprecedented extraordinary threat. Uh, to the economy, to the people, uh, as well as uh, to uh, the society. So th that is the area that we are uh, trying to uh, manage uh, uh, during the first year after the election. Uh, we turn around uh, almost all instruments in order for us to be able to uh, handle the health issue. There is a, what we call it emergency law, which we are allowing uh, to have fiscal uh, that is tools, uh, our budget to be able to have a deficit above 3%. Indonesia for almost 20 years has been very disciplined using our budget uh, in order for us to have a more sustainability and also fiscal uh, instrument, uh, which is reliable, uh, facing with many uh, uncertainty. So for the first time in Indonesia, after Reforma C, we have the deficit which is way uh, above 3%, 6.1% actually double. And then we also allowing to have a more flexibility in uh, changing the spending because what we are facing is a virus, which is not really a human being, which we can discuss and talk. <laughs> so they are just mutated into a new variant and so on. And then at the same time, we uh, have to be able to, while we are busy and overwhelmed by this uh, COVID, we have to continue rewarming and preparing what you just asking. What is exactly the priority of this government? At some point, this pandemic will over. But then how we are going to come up from this pandemic? Are we come up as a good winner or just so-so or even as a loser in this case? That is the question that we are asking when we are uh, dealing with this pandemic. And that's why even during this pandemic in which the president have uh, established a weekly meeting to monitor the pandemic, we also continue in implementing some important reform. Uh, as I said, uh, the uh, omnibus law on job creation has been passed. Uh, I've already passed two very important legislation on a taxation and fiscal relation with the local government. This is going to be one of the most important on how the fiscal uh, policy is going to be then strengthened in the medium long term, because uh, we have to admit all over the world, all country, all uh, nation, they are exposed by higher spending and drop in revenue because of the pandemic. So they increase in terms of their debt and their fiscal space is shrinking. And that's why we need to uh, recover our, what we call it, fiscal space and strength in order for us to be able to continue this uh, policy at, at this uh, 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 development program. To, yes, sure. to be clear then, no more big set uh, reforms on the, on the agenda. It's... Um, either bringing back online stuff that has been shelled uh, or reformulating it. But another tax amnesty, uh, another sort of omnibus labor reform of that ilk, that's, mm -hmm. that's done. Well, uh, the, passing the legislation is one very important milestone. Of course, as a democratic system, you really have to deal with the legislator and drafting the law and then that's, the, but that's one thing. Implementing it is going to be another challenge, right, Jeffrey? So in this case, we've already passed even on our omnibus law job creation, because Indonesia is a democratic system. Uh, there is a time of reviewing judicial review on a constitutional court. And now we have to really amend a part of this uh, in order for us to be able to actually making sure that this omnibus law uh, will be able to be implemented. So yeah, it's not always like an easy, like right. uh, uh, like in a democratic system, right? In this case, you really have many of the uh, regulation as well as process that need to be abide. And for us, like uh, on a taxation, again, also we just passed this tax law with harmonizing tax law, which uh, include the re uh, revision of the income tax, value added tax, uh, you, we call it voluntary disclosure program, 
We also have the general, uh, uh, what you call it, amendment on the general provision law, which allowing us to create a much more, what you call it, reward and punishment in a more balanced way. We also revise the custom. So all area on the revenue side has been addressed in this omnibus on a harmonizing tax law. We do hope that this is going to expand the tax base. It's going to be, uh, in this case, creating a just, equitable uh, uh, tax system in Indonesia, and especially also creating and addressing the issue of tax evasion uh, and uh, uh, tax uh, fraud uh, that uh, could happen, and uh, it's it also happening uh, at this very moment. So that that is the area that uh, we are addressing. Kevin? It was really, yeah, uh, um, I'm, I'm hoping you can uh, help me. I want, I want to see if we're worrying about some of the same things. Uh, when I talk to some of my subscribers and uh, international observers and financiers who watch Indonesia, the talk about postponing elections, um, even if it were to happen constitutionally, uh, seems like it could disrupt confidence in Indonesia and potentially even affect the uh, uh, the risk premium for the country and adversely affect the investment climate that way. So in, in that sense, politics and economics are tied together, as we know. Um, is this something that uh, concerns you? It seems distressing to me because it's happening at, at a very awkward time, at a time when these reforms that you've just explained are providing a really bright outlook for Indonesia. Um, and also awkward because there's uh, heightened tensions internationally between authoritarian and democratic systems. And here, Indonesia, a very successful democracy, is uh, making sounds about um, you know, adversely reforming its democratic institutions. Can can you can you help me with this? <laughs> well, Indonesia uh, uh, is actually built and uh, run based on our constitution. So the constitution uh, stipulated very explicitly that the term of the government is only two times. And also in this case, uh, that the democratic uh, system of uh, passing from one term to another term uh, will be conducted through the election. As of now, as a finance minister, I do understand that uh, there is uh, a decision already regarding first the date of the election in 2024. So it's already agreed by the parliament and the government. Uh, there is also a preparation by the commission uh, on an election. So they've already uh, now uh, drafting, or in this case, uh, preparing the budget. So we know that this is going to be a very tight priority for many, especially during this pandemic. But it doesn't mean that this priority for the democratic system to be uphold is going to be a, a second priority. It's going to be a, the first priority. So. We are still continue in this case preparing for that as of some uh, people uh, talking about this. Uh, I think, well, that's that's their uh, discussion. It should not distract uh, the fact that Indonesia continue doing our reform, strengthening our economy, uh, also strengthening our democracy in a way, and also uh, preparing a, a smooth transition of power as uh, what we've already witnessing in the what 20 years after the reform yeah uh, minister can i just um clarify uh mm. I, I, maybe um maybe i i've misunderstood uh there are other priorities than um um safeguarding democracy uh pa the pandemic no, no 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 i think okay. you're wrong what happened uh, okay. in any country I think uh, in any country, you always have a lot of priority, as I said, in this case. Priority, for example, like this pandemic has overtaken many of our priority. Uh, as I said earlier, when I explained to you, when we start with the second term, we have a lot of priority of uh, reforming ourselves, investing in human capital, uh, infrastructure development, and so on. And then it was overtaken by the pandemic, and that's become the highest priority. Now we are entering the third year of the pandemic and we continue, as I said earlier, juggling between this reform and all. But when we have this, uh, what you call it, scheduled election as a democratic system, this has become the priority. 
So it should not be saying that you cannot like, oh, okay, because we are busy with the pandemic and others, then you really have to set aside this democratic system because that is the foundation. So you cannot say that, oh, because the money will be used for pandemic, then you don't have money for this. Uh, and despite our fiscal position is actually getting better. So it's not really an excuse for that. Uh, Ibu Sri, I just have to point out, I think that there are two other ministers in the cabinet, coordinating ministers who are saying quite the opposite. They're saying that because there's a pandemic, there cannot be an election on time. Well, uh, what I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying what we are now doing, that is, as I said, that the schedule of the election has been decided and agreed between government and the parliament. So, and the preparation has been started and they are now drafting. So that is my statement. We need to push a little bit further here. Uh, when your boss took the job, there was a sunset, October 2024. He has mm -hmm. not said that he would respect that. He would not say that he will not be in office November 2024. Do you think? Well, if it, it is the constitutional mandate. So you don't have to say it. I mean, no one uh, can say that, oh, I don't want to go out from the office. No, it's constitutional mandate. If you want to stay, then you are actually doing something which is against constitution, which in Indonesia is really a breach, uh, it's very serious in this case. So I think, yeah, okay. it is a mandate of okay, the thank constitution. Thank you very much. Yeah. Let me turn to another huge issue right now, uh, the economic impacts of the invasion of Ukraine. I'm sure this is a question you're receiving a lot. Um, first, I mean, there's many. Um, how about a uh, default by Russia on its external debt? Uh, are you anticipating impacts on capital flows for emerging markets? And, and if so, how do you, how do you uh, feel that Indonesia will weather that? Well, this is uh, one of uh, what we are discussing uh, also, not only within Indonesia, but I, I'm sure this is really affecting globally because it is not about uh, the war in Ukraine, but also in terms of uh, the principle of the global order in this case, and at the same time also the implication on the economy globally. We are actually in the G20, we are discussing on uh, the first session is actually how we recover from the pandemic. Even in this case, the discussion very specific, specific about how we should exit from the policy which is extraordinary during this pandemic uh, so that uh, the tools on the monetary side, fiscal side and financial side is going to be restored to a more normal order because you cannot use wow. this extraordinary uh, for long, then it will, uh, uh, will uh, threatening the sustainability of monetary policy, credibility, fiscal policy, as well as the stability of financial sector. So within this G20, at least, at least on the finance track, we are actually discussing about the global financial, uh, global uh, recovery and how country can and should design the exit policy. And then we hit hard by this, uh, another shock, which is the war, which have a spillover very significantly because the economic uh, tools has become uh, economic sanction is actually using the economic tools as uh, a tools for for handling this conflict and that's why the implication is just so direct and obvious whether this is in the form of the commodity price uh, you mentioned about the sanction on the central bank and also in this case now the uh, the the issue about a repayment of the debt of uh, the russia I think we should, uh, on the one hand, we really look this as a global risk. The global risk meaning that uh, even before the conflict, the uh, inflation globally, especially in advanced countries, has already accelerated because of the supply disruption, because of the demand, uh, pent-up demand, which is immediately surged after the uh, COVID has been relatively managed and vaccination has been increased. So we have this supply demand uh, disruption, which is not uh, coherent or consistent, harmonized. 
So it created inflation. Many of the authority in this case, monetary policy or authority looking at uh, what is the option that they have to make, whether this inflation is going to be temporary or not. And then we have this uh, war, which then worsening the trend on the commodity price. If you look at the commodity price on a uh, gas, oil, even nickel, coal, a CPO, they are all uh, wheat, uh, they are soybean. It's a lot of combination uh, between uh, both the after pandemic uh, recovery process, which is not even, and then combined with climate change. If you look at, for example, like soybean, they are all affected by the climate change, a worse growth in Brazil. And then now with the geopolitical uh, in the in the form of conflict, which is worsening. So basically, what I'm saying, this is really a big risk for the global uh, economy. Maybe even it can affect the global economic order uh, if uh, the world cannot come up uh, with what you call it thinking how we are going to deal with this. Uh, uh, coexist or live together within what we call it the peaceful order because all what we witnessing in the past 40 years maybe you talk about globalization in which all country is supposed to be a winner of this policy right that country can actually achieve their progress to globalization by trade investment openness and then all uh, cooperation now it changed so that is going to be one of the most important implications. As of immediate uh, implication, Kevin, that you mentioned, uh, the increasing commodity price in Indonesia, because we are commodity producer, definitely we have some, uh, what you call it, windfall, quote unquote, of this commodity. But also at the mm -hmm. same time, because of the shock of this in, uh, inflation coming from the commodity, the question for the government, are we going to pass through this inflation directly to the people or we are going to create a cushion through our subsidy or fiscal in this case? This is a policy option that we are continue to cali calibrate because there is no what you call it one easy, straightforward answer. We really have to look at what is the development and how this development will affect uh, weekly, monthly uh, or even in this case yearly. Right. Um First, yeah, uh, can you explain the new CPO policy? Uh, well, the CPO, Indonesia is the largest uh, CPO producer. And also, of course, in this case, the demand for uh, this cooking oil is increased uh, even before the conflict and now increasingly because of, of course, the disruption in Europe, which is affecting the supply of the sunflower oil and so on. And that's on the one hand, certainly creating it, as I say, for Indonesia as the largest producer, there is a windfall revenue from that. But that creating also a pressure for us uh, in terms of the uh, raw material for the cooking oil, also for other material, which is using the CPO, like the cosmetic, uh, as well as uh, other uh, product. So definitely this, what you call it, inflation uh, spillover, will be actually coming to our own domestic economy. So the question for the government in this case is how you are going to be able to first protecting the recovery process, which is still at the very early stage after a very deep uh, shock from the pandemic. We are still aiming to recover our economy and recovery of the economy, meaning from the demand side, consumption is the biggest demand driven for our economy. So if the consumption will be eroded because of the high inflation, like what happened in many of advanced countries, then immediately this recovery will be weakened. So we really have to like now making sure that on this, especially CPO, finding the right balance. On the one hand, we know that we cannot fight market mechanism. If you try to fight those, there will be like what you call it, black market smuggling. And even in this case, you try to regulate and then you can find that you can say that you should sell the oil, cooking oil by this price and nobody want to sell it. And that is uh, already now being corrected. You are going to sell uh, at the regular part, but the government as part of our affirmation to the people, especially the people which is uh, uh, needed most, the most vulnerable people, 
then we have to have a certain policy uh, that creating a mechanism to protect them from this huge shock. And that can be in the form of now we try to uh, regulate the price only for what we call it, the churah is actually the cooking oil, which is not packed. And also at the same time, we are considering very seriously providing a social safety net, especially for almost 18 or 19 million households in Indonesia. So these are all the combination policy options that we are having. Otherwise, now we know that uh, the demand supply as well as the market uh, price is something that we really need to address uh, and to manage without really fighting that can be very futile. But at the same time, we have to be also make sure that the government have the ability to step in and protecting, especially the most vulnerable one. Um, I want to jump yeah. in there and and some ask you for a little bit more detail on the social safety net. Also, um, the sixty five thousand dollar question is whether the wind the the so called windfall from commodity export exports um, will cover the rise in subsidies that you'll that the government will inevitably have to pay to keep the lid on fuel. But will it be a wash? Well, um, Jeffrey, uh, we know that when there is a shock in the economy, the option for any policymaker is actually you allow the shock to pass through directly and then immediately to the people or to the economy or do you still have any option of creating a certain cushion, whether this is in the form of like the strength of the shock will be weakened. It cannot be totally, uh, in this case, uh, isolated, but it's not going to be like the real hard shock that will then breaking down the society or the economy. Right. Or you actually then allowing the shock that is breaking down. So if you still have a space on your fiscal side, then you have this option. You can create a certain cushion. It doesn't mean that you are going to absorb the whole shock, but making sure that the shock will be then transmitted in a way that can be handled by the economy and the people. That is exactly so. It is not really like the thinking about, oh, are you going to like use your fiscal tool protecting the whole people and economy from totally like the shock so that they are totally like not feeling uh, totally. I, I don't think that is going to be a realistic target. So for us, that's why exactly the target is actually who's the most vulnerable who's the one who's actually in this very situation is going to be like easily dropped into the poverty line again. What yeah. kind, then again, if you agree on the target, the second challenge is of what mechanism to reach out to this particular vulnerable group. And in Indonesia, we've already have the social protection program in which we have around 10 million of what we call it the family hope program. This is by name, by address, by account number. We also have what you call it the tobacco. This is like the food program uh, or staple goods uh, subsidy uh, in the form of coupon. This is also again by name, by account number. So at least we have this, uh, as I said, around almost close to 19 million family, uh, which then if you add to the village level, don't forget that Indonesia also have still many villages. And within this village level, we also have another instrument that is a direct transfer to the village. So combination of all this is actually protecting or providing a certain cushion. Again, I'm not saying that you are going totally like eliminating the shock. But uh, as I said, policy tools, instrument and design in order to lessen the shock so that the early recovery process of the economy, as well as the vulnerability of the people, is not going to be destroyed because of this unprecedented and extraordinary shock. I understand. Yeah, uh, Ibu Sri, with, with with that all uh, very clearly understood now, um, how bad do you envision the wheat prices, in particular, impacting Indonesia and affecting? Uh, food price inflation and poverty levels. Is that something that Indonesia can accommodate because it's primarily a consumer of rice and maybe the rice price won't spike so much? Or is this a concern for you? 
Well, there is always a concern regarding uh, any food price increase. And of course, Indonesia, even though we said that uh, the staple goods is rice, but many people now, especially on the urban area or even in the village area, they are converted into wheat, not only in the form of bread, but noodle, which is becoming a very, very important product uh, in Indonesia. So uh, basically, it will be affected uh, soon or later in this case. And that is exactly how we are trying to uh, really look at what composition on the food which is affected by this high uh, price of the food. It is not only wheat. We also have the soybean, as I mentioned, corn in a way, mm. uh, which is uh, going to be then cooking oil, as I mentioned earlier. So food price is going to be one of the most uh, important within our uh, uh, inflation factor that need to be watched very carefully. And then, and that's why uh, we discuss within the cabinet what kind of the food security that Indonesia should be strengthened uh, responding to this kind of situation. Of course, as uh, I said and explained earlier, some of the shock cannot be totally absorbed by the government. So some will be then felt by the people, but maybe some significant portion need and could be absorbed when we have this fiscal space. That's why Kevin and Jeffrey in this case, during this uh, very extraordinary challenge, even during this pandemic, fiscal tools, that is our budget, is the most important tool because they are providing all this flexibility of protecting people when they are threatening by the pandemic. They are now becoming very important uh, uh, tools to protect people when they are threatening by the increasing commodity price. They are becoming important tools in creating confidence of the recovery. And that's why, uh, as a finance minister, I really have to take care of this fiscal tool because you cannot overuse it for long, just like your physical, if you are exercising for long without any break, uh, then you are not going to be healthier. Instead, you are going to be like breaking down. This is just a simple analogy in a way that this fiscal tool, which is working extremely hard during this very extraordinary situation. But at some point, this fiscal need to be continued to also return to their, what you call it, health and, and, and normal situation. And that's why reform in the fiscal side is very important, as I said earlier on the taxation revenue. And even in this case, we improve and looking at a very uh, detail on the expenditure side, because as I said, uh, the expenditure is going to be quite uh, dominated by this safety net or cushion from this shock. And does that safety net and cushion involve assistance on regulating fuel prices? Because uh, economists are telling me that um, the government's budget on this will blow out to somewhere in the order of 200 trillion. Yeah, this, of course. Yeah. The instrument in this case, Jeffrey, if you are uh, regulating the price, we call it the administered price, there is an implication if there is a gap between the administered price with the market price, then this needs to be compensated as a subsidy or and that is exactly what we are doing. And some economists uh, rightly will say, do you have money to provide those subsidy or compensation? So people will watch now very carefully our budget, how much then the increasing subsidy will be dominating our budget. If we yeah. try to, as I said, providing a very thick cushion to the economy and the people in this case. And we look at the electricity, we look at the fuel price, uh, in addition to what I mentioned about the uh, food price. So these are all hit. And if you look at many countries, if you go out and have to fill your tank, I know that this is now becoming how much? $7 per, per, per barrel, uh, per, per gallon. I don't know. But when I was there uh, in the United States seven years ago or eight years, it's only like below $3. So it is going to be like the inflation, which is felt directly by the people. All countries facing with the same situation, the policy option is actually for us to provide cushion. Now, for us, Jeffrey, in this case, we are going to find the right balance. First, as I said, recovery of the economy, very important. Protecting, especially the most vulnerable, is very important. Whether this is going to create pressure on the fiscal, yes. 
Do we have flexibility? Yes, we have. As I said, because we also receiving a windfall profit because we are also commodity price, a commodity producer. So we use this windfall part of it to cushion the people. Part of it is actually try to continue our reform in this case. So these are all what we are trying to manage within our fiscal. So triple objective, protecting vulnerable as well as the recovery of economy and then recovering of the health of our uh, fiscal, that is our budget. And the third one is uh, try to continue reform, uh, which is still very important for us to build the stronger foundation for Indonesia economy. Yeah, well, on, on, that, uh, on that thought about uh, building uh, reforms for the future, specifically with regard to revenue collection, uh, you mentioned there's windfalls from the high commodity prices, but those, of course, could go away very quickly at any point in time. Who knows? Uh, so for the sustainable uh, increase of revenue from income tax uh, collection in particular, what sorts of uh, reforms are underway and uh, any uh, implementing regulations uh, coming out from the harmonization law soon? Um, yeah. And also, finally, while we're on the topic and I'm at it here, um, how about the uh, VAT increase on April 1st? Any news uh, on, on that development? Thanks. Hmm. Well, first, this harmonizing tax policy consists of uh, all part uh, that uh, supporting the fiscal framework, especially on the revenue side. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, general provision, which is related to the reward and punishment and simplifying the mechanism if uh, the people want to pay tax, if there is a fraud, what kind of settlement, these are all being uh, modernized or has been uh, reformed. So that's uh, the cost of implementation and especially the revenue uh, priority is going to be like the most important rather than maybe the criminal charge itself so we don't want to do that 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 is the most important on that part the second one is related on the income tax uh, as you can see that we are adding a top bracket uh, because in Indonesia, we have uh, quite a skewed, uh, more people becoming very rich and the top 5%, but the people in the middle and lower is still there. So if you are trying to design a much more, what you call it, uh, just or equal uh, system, we put additional bracket on top from 30% to 35% for those who earn more than 5 billion uh, per year. Uh, I think this is uh, only a, f uh, a few percentage uh, of the people in Indonesia, but that's, I think, is the right thing comparing to the middle class. And then we also, on, this, on the one hand, providing more support for the lower level. So informal sector, especially uh, ultra, micro, small, medium enterprises, they are actually enjoying a certain additional bracket that they are untaxable, and that's cre creating a relief for them. And then on a, uh, also we are providing, uh, in this case, uh, as I said, a tax compliance uh, program for those which is not yet comply for 2016 uh, 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 pass, as well as until 2020, we are providing this opportunity for you to disclose. And uh, then we are going to combine with our global taxation regime now, uh, automatic exchange of information. We are going to provide a much bigger basis for the taxation. We are going to also at the same time, as you mentioned, the VAT, the decision is uh, for 10% to become 11% by April. This is uh, now under preparation. We know that this is really like in a still very fragile situation, but we know that this is also need to be introduced in a smooth way. So we try a combination between providing the social protection as well as uh, other program so that this can be introduced without creating a huge shock to the economy. I think this is what we are trying to do at this very moment. And uh, we also have a carbon tax, actually. This is one very important piece uh, of uh, new instrument uh, related to the climate change as well as new mechanism uh, dealing with the carbon market and carbon tax. So uh, a lot of very busy, they are now undergoing uh, implementation plan. Uh, so on a regulatory framework below the law is being now uh, finalized so that we do hope that we are going to be able to uh, continue implement this very important reform. Yeah, and on, on that topic, uh, carbon uh, trading, uh, a price and cap scheme, what, um, 
time frame do you, do you anticipate for, for bringing that into effect with the, with the regulation that came out like last year about that? Well, uh, the carbon trading is uh, the market mechanism is now being designed and implemented government regulation as a, uh, as a foundation for this uh, regulation uh, uh, is now being uh, uh, designed. We've already introduced uh, at a very narrow scope on a PLN that is the electricity company uh, using the cap and trade first meaning that its power uh, power uh, plan will have a certain level of carbon that need to be abide. And if you are above or below that, then you can actually trade among themselves. And the price that we introduce is low enough, $3 per ton of the CO2. This is because we try to test uh, the market mechanism and we don't want to add more shock on the economy at this very moment but at least there is a familiarity in terms of the mechanism and also building the credibility of the market itself so that is now being passed uh, and carbon tax will be introduced along with this uh, uh, action plan on the whole climate change implementation so uh, it will be stages First, on a, uh, as I said, electricity, especially on the PLN, and then we will see how uh, this is going to be implemented in a much wider scope. But of course, as I said, uh, the uh, action plan is now being designed. So we want to see how the discussion with the business community, with the population, there are very encouraging signs. For example, if I talk to many of the young people in Indonesia, the millennial uh, generation, they are very aware about this climate change. They want Indonesia to also address this issue. They even say that uh, this has become one of their uh, highest priority. They want to see the government to implement. And even in this case, uh, quite interesting to see that they even willing to pay. So this is really a different generation from maybe the uh, older one in which they have the, the uh, what you call it, care, uh, on this uh, world or earth, in this case, in terms of the sustainability. So we will look and calibrate the policy along this uh, first, the recovery process, the discussion with the business community, with the population, educate people, and we also at the same time establish the market mechanism and introduce the instrument like cap and trade as well as carbon tax. I wanted to ask you a question, Minister, about the G20 and about um, how you expect that to pay, play out um, given the circumstances uh, geopolitically. Um, Australia has already intimated that uh, they won't come if Russia does. Uh, China has sided very closely, more or less, with Russia. And there's a whole other camp, Indonesia and, in, and the likes of India are in different camps. What is the likelihood of the G20 being able to produce something that is um, constructive and balanced, um, given these shifting, well, this increasing polarization, um, where uh, there's so much distrust and, um, and it may very well fall apart. Do you do you see a role for the G20 uh, given the rhetoric that we're hearing now from the likes of China and Australia? Well, uh, G20 was created uh, as an economic premier forum for cooperation because at that time, especially the G20 at the leaders level was created uh, to offer the what you call it the threat to the global economy which is very obvious that uh, no country can face it alone so yeah. the g20 was actually created with that kind of spirit there is no article of agreement it's just like at that time uh, i was finance minister so i was called by uh, tim weidner and some other finance minister and okay can yeah. we like create this like g20 at the leaders like level because the threat of collapsing economy entering what is the deepest recession uh, or even in this case uh, uh, what you call it um, uh, economic devastation because of the global economic uh, and financial uh, crisis 
So that was like the spirit at that time. Uh, and it was at work in the sense that we can avert this catastrophic consequence of global financial with this cooperation. Right. And of course, at that time, the cooperation creating a one coordinated response for all countries, whether this is on the monetary side, fiscal side, financial side, and regulatory side. And that is creating what we call it a confidence back to the global economy. Yeah. Now, the situation today is totally different yeah. when then uh, this cooperation in itself is not being able to be maintained because of the action by the G20 members, right? But unlike in the IMF World Bank in which they have the article of agreement, so basically the article of agreement saying that, well, if you continue following the membership uh, protocol, then you are within this club. But if it is not, then you are out. G20 is based on consensus. So basically, under Indonesia presidency, this is, I must say, a very challenging task. Because if you look at all the G20 before Indonesia presidency, they are all, regardless ups and down, no one facing this kind of situation. Of course, at that time, there is a Crimea in 2014, but that was like in that a different scale from the two-day situation in Ukraine. At that time, the G20 is uh, just uh, focusing on how to help Ukraine because of that uh, uh, attack in the Crimea. So this situation is much bigger because the European feel there is a really uh, on their front door, very imminent uh, attack uh, as well as threat to their own economic and well-being and security of the people. So mm -hmm. you mentioned about this, this level of cooperation. Yes, it is becoming very divided. But at the same time, Indonesia also discussing, we are reaching out to all the G20 members. As I said, this is there is no article of agreement. This is a consensus based. So we are reaching out to all the G20 members and saying that, do you think that this cooperation is very important? Indonesia is continue trying to uh, implement the agenda of the G20 of this cooperation that is global recovery. We talk about digital economy. We talk about climate change. So all those things. Uh, and they say that, yes, we need that regardless of their position. So basically, the G20 members, they feel that this cooperation needs to continue to be safe. Despite, uh, so you're confident despite, that the, adult, the adults will prevail. What is that again, Jerry? Uh, you're confident that it, the, the G20 will go through the, you know, co you know cooler heads well, will prevail. The confidence is really depend on how we are going to like... Uh, we confidence because we are reaching out, but we know that the difficulty is not to be underestimated. Because uh, and if the party which is now in this situation is going to be even widened, so there is always a possibility regarding what kind of format which is still uh, in this case acceptable for all the G20 member to still save the cooperation part, but in this case acceptable under current circumstances. We do hope that in this case, at the leader level is gonna be uh, next uh, October, uh, but there is a finance minister meeting, uh, which is going to be like uh, in the next couple of months. And that's why it is much more imminent for us to decide. And this, uh, as I said, because of this war, as well as the economic cannot be separated because uh, they are using economic sanction. So you cannot avoid that it is becoming yeah. Uh, yeah, an exactly. issue that will affect uh, the G20 discussion. So we will continue consult and we do hope that we are going to come up with a workable, workable format of meeting. And certainly when we discuss with all member countries, they are still supporting the Indonesia agenda that is all the agenda related to first on uh, issue of the threat to the global economy, health and uh, finance, digital economy, global taxation, sustainable finance. I mean, regardless, at the end, we need to address this issue, especially if that threat is going to be global, like climate change, no one, no country can uh, face it alone, right? This is going to be a threat for the world. So that's why I think this is really the role of Indonesia now, making sure that the cooperation is going to be continued, maintained, 
even though the maybe the format as well as the structure maybe will have uh, some uh, uh, what you call it change because of uh, the situation that we are facing today um excluding russia is not an option or is everything still on the table well the g20 member says as i say it's a consensus so it's not like the membership that uh, i can but certainly we communicate with all the member country including russia in this case and united states g7 australia they are all in this case uh, uh, still at this very moment given what the, what the situation uh, there is really a very big distance between the Russia in this case and uh, especially G7. So this is a fact that we are facing at this very moment. It's a very big different distance. So really like bridging this gap is something which is very critical. But even for other member country, uh, even China and other, they want to actually try to create a certain also, what you call it, a bridge so that again, everybody agree that the cooperation still need to be maintained for the medium and long-term proposed objective i think all countries still have the interest to see this group to be uh, and the spirit of the cooperation despite despite what is happening today uh, it's actually uh, need to be safe or to be maintained so we'll try our best with us luck in this case kevin and jeffrey yes yeah i don't envy you always um, i don't envy yeah <laughs> do you do you anticipate going to Washington DC at the end of the month for the ASEAN summit with uh, the US or or is there any update on that? Well, the the visit to the US is actually not only one single agenda usually. Uh, the spring meeting is definitely there, but I just heard this morning that they are now changing the format again to become a hybrid uh, in this case. So it's uh, initially they are actually want to introduce more physical present now they are coming back to the hybrid there are a couple of other uh, not only event but meeting also in the united states so i'll i'll, I'll look at my most priority schedule uh, and uh, of course the urgency uh, to be in many of those uh, meetings so we'll see we i will look at uh, all this schedule it's still very fluid at this very moment kevin okay um okay. we have one last question um i'd, I'd like um, to uh <laughs> yeah i'd like to follow up uh Ibushri about um involving women uh in the workforce uh to uh to you know, boost the economy and improve welfare uh this is this seems like something that uh, <clears throat> is within reach it's, some, it's a feasible way to to boost indonesia's gdp um are there some reforms you have in mind uh, to pursue that? And and also, I'd like. I was wondering on a personal level, um, do you try to help foster uh, leadership in the, your ministry uh, by uh, encouraging the promotion of women and and supporting their advancement uh, in what can often be a very patronage-dominated world we live in? Yeah. Um... I think there are many studies already uh, providing an evidence that providing an equal opportunity for women uh, will provide a strong boost to the economy. McKinsey's study is showing that 26% or in this case, uh, 25 trillion uh, US dollar, 26% uh, of the GDP uh, globally can be increased if you are providing more opportunity and role for the woman. The question is maybe not just that uh, evidence, uh, the question is how, especially because many women are facing with still uh, obstacles, or in this case, uh, some uh, which is not uh, at what we call it the level playing field, uh, if you compare with uh, our counterpart, the men. And that's why the question, if you want to have more women participation in Indonesia, labor participation for women is still also below men. Uh, and also, if you look at the salary, there, there is also a gap. So the question in this case, what policy that needs to be uh, introduced? I think we have to look at what is the obstacle and the hindrance for the woman to participate, usually because they are uh, expecting to do their domestic work. And especially also in this case, they are also uh, have to juggle between family and career if this is going to be on a 
city side or urban side. So in this kind of situation, then uh, some policy that can relieve this kind of uh, choices straight off is going to be like helping. For example, uh, in this case, of course, on the education side, uh, education side from primary, we've already provided an equal opportunity up to the even high school. Uh, they are going to be the one uh, usually uh, is still uh, relatively uh, equal. But for the lower income uh, family, usually the dropout for the woman is much bigger because they are the one who were asked to actually help their family first. And that is exactly uh, a poverty reduction definitely will have an implication on this ability of the children, women, girls in this case to continue. And then if you are enter in the job market, as I said, uh, that this juggling and trade off the, the choice, which is becoming very hard, can be lessened, for example, by providing from the maternity leave, paternity leave. This is exactly what I introduced in the Ministry of Finance, that now we also provide paternity leave. Uh, and then at the same time, there is a lactation uh, for the woman, which is uh, having the baby and childcare, I think that's going to be also very important. On the career and the Minister of Finance, I've already asked uh, a certain uh, protocol that for a woman to be promoted, we see actually when they are entering Minister of Finance is almost 50-50, men and women is almost equal. And then the dropout ratio will continue, especially at the first level of what you call it structural position. Usually at that time, there is like a drop and then if you go going up, it's getting higher. Then we only have now around 17% uh, uh, at the top level. So in this case, I think this is going to be one of the most important challenges that the dropout ratio has nothing to do with their capacity, but more on their opportunity and the challenge to juggle. So we, yes, in the Ministry of Finance, we have the gender-based budgeting. We provide coaching for uh, the women. We also have a certain, even in this case, quota. For me, I'm not going to process any promotion if there is no woman and as a candidate. So this kind of situation will provide a certain uh, very clear, uh, what you call it, signal for uh, our team in the Ministry of Finance to actually implement uh, this kind of affirmative without distorting based on the merit system. Uh, one last question. While your boss has left open a small window that he would be willing to serve past October 24th and maybe a third term. Would there be a third term for uh, uh, Sri Mulyani as a, uh, as a uh, finance minister? <laughs> Jeffrey, I've been uh, working for, the, uh, for Indonesia. It's been quite long. And I actually, in this case, in the Ministry of Finance, we continue grooming many of the younger generation. So I think the health uh, of uh, any organization and also the success of leadership will be judged on whether you were able to uh, groom or provide a better generation than yourself in this case. So in this case, I think in many of my organization, I provide uh, a lot of opportunity for my own vice minister, deputy minister, or even in this case, younger professional. You, you should take charge. You should be able anytime and no one actually indispensable in this case. So in this case, just prepare because Indonesia is a big country. The journey is going to be still long and maybe the challenge is going to be uh, hard or harder in this case. So even though during this kind of situation like pandemic or climate change or in now G20, I actually allowing all my team to be able to actually showing themselves their leadership and opportunity. So what I'm saying, Jeffrey, in this case, uh, I think uh, no one indispensable is in this case. The country will continue. And it is my responsibility to prepare, prepare Ministry of Finance and especially their staff to be able to actually assume those responsibility in a competent way, professional way, with a high integrity. I think that is the most important one. So that's my answer to your question. If, if you want to start a podcast, DM me. We can set you up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, have you considered yes. possible? Yeah, yeah. You have sure. options. That's going to be my next uh, career after this. Yeah, okay. That's it's a good not, option. It's not so bad. <laughs>
Thank you, Gary. Okay. Thank you. It's good to Until talk to time. you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that's the pod. Thanks so much, Finance Minister Sri Mulyani, for joining. Our editing and sound engineering is done by Stephen Handoko. Our music is courtesy of the Blue Dot Sessions. For a free trial of Kevin's Reformasi Weekly Newsletter, go to reformasi.info. If you are listening to us through a podcast app, please subscribe. Share us on social media. It would be a huge help. As always, you can reach us at hello at onthelevel.id. This podcast is a production of On The Level Media. I'm Jeff Hutton. Bye for now.